To fertilize, a pulse to stabilize, a body to deodorize, a life to scrutinize, a child to criticize, young adults to modernize, citizens to terrorize, generations to desensitize, a desk to organize, a product to advertise, a market to monopolize, movie stars to idolize, leaders to scandalize, enemies to neutralize, no time to apologize, fury to tranquilize, weapons to synchronize cities to vapor. You are listening to Down on High, where two millennial musicians talk about the cultural products that shape them. And today, we are continuing our long-running series on The Strokes. We are covering two records, the first of which, The Strokes' third album, First Impressions of Earth, released in 2005, and Julian Casablancas's debut solo record, Phrases, from, Phrases for the Young, from 2009. Greg, we've got a little bit of backstory here. Would you like me to jump in with that? Okay. So when we last left off The Strokes, they had released their sophomore record, largely successful, but criticized for sounding too much like the debut. There are a number of factors that go into the lead-up to the recording of their third record. There are some professional jealousy issues, troubles with songwriting, and some addiction issues for multiple members of the band. So, of professional jealousy, this is taken from Lizzie Goodman's book, Meet Me in the Bathroom. Producer Gordon Raphael, who produced the first two records, says, There was one thing on Julian's mind all the time. How can the band be cool and sell? Just that short phrase was in his mind and on his lips. How can the band be cool and still sell? Lead guitarist Nick Valencia says, We had conversations along the lines of, Gosh, I think our songs are better than Mr. Brightside by the Killers. How come everyone's <laughs> listening to that? They did it a different way. They recorded it a different way. They promoted it in a different way. We could be that big. Producer Gordon Raphael says, Julian would tell me, Gordon, all these fans came after us and kind of took some of my ideas, and now they're selling more. When I hear my songs from Room on Fire, come on. And when I hear Franz Ferdinand or the White Stripes, their music sounds so much bigger. What can I do to make our music sound that big? I flew over for a special meeting with the band. They said, we want you to build us a studio in our practice room. You'll be in charge, so we won't feel any time constraints. So I designed and built them a studio in the practice room. Then I went there after the tour in 2004, and they had no songs prepared. So to speak to that that songwriting issue manager ryan gentles says julian can't write on the road that's the problem that's why he never wants to tour he also goes on to say he says it destroys him he can't write and he can't think he tells me when i talk about touring i know you're gonna think i'm crazy i know you think this sounds nuts but i'm still barely getting over the tour from two years ago and i say to him that does sound crazy and nuts it was fucking two and a half years ago and Julian will say, that's how badly it fucks me up, mentally and physically. I'm like, dude, this is our livelihood. If you can't or don't have a thicker skin than that, we're fucked. 
And Julian would say, I can't do it. I can't write. I'm not creative. I get depressed. I come home. I'm under a pile of shit. I'm trying to dig myself out. And then I can't write at home because I'm catching up. Casablancas would say, we toured for so long. I felt like I almost had to start over musically, which was a real bummer. And I promised myself I wouldn't ever do that again. Gentles adds, it's real hard to argue with someone when they're saying, we need to do this tour. We need to do this show. It's going to be good for your career. And he's saying, okay, I'll do that. Then we're going to take a break because I'm going to want to kill myself or we don't do it. And at least you'll have a career next year. And I'm forced to say, okay, I choose the career next year. Albert Hammond Jr., rhythm guitarist, says of the sessions, at the beginning of the recording of First Impressions, that's when the solo stuff started. He also adds, with Room on Fire, people were giving us shit because they said we were sounding too much the same. With the third album, we're getting shit that we don't sound like Room on Fire. And I feel I got fucked by the same thing twice. Hammond Jr. also adds, that's probably the first time I noticed it stopped being fun, the recording in the recording of first impressions. That's when things started to get into the gap. Friends, girlfriends, people who worked with us, other people, strangers, all just starting to come in and being like, you should be a bigger band. And I was like, yeah, we should be a bigger band. For as strong as we were and as close as we were, we weren't close or strong enough to fight it. Drummer Fabio Moretti says, that's the house of cards that is being in the strokes. There was a lot of emotions that were kept secret, but were so evident. We didn't know how to process them. A, because we were children. B, because it's hard to process subliminal, subconscious, volcanic emotions. We were kids that wanted to conquer the world, but we had no idea uh, we were going to be given the chance to. We had been like physically primed for some kind of release that we didn't know was coming necessarily. And that tension, the fact that the friendships could form into little cliques and stuff, meant that everybody felt like an outsider. Casablancas would add, we became as big as we as you can become while still staying under the radar, which is amazing and maybe ideal, but it was never this big breakthrough. You know what I'm saying? There was never this MC Hammer moment where all of us were like, there's so much money. The success is going to last forever. And then you squander it. To us, it felt amazing, but like it could disappear at any second or it wasn't that huge. And then we get to Julian Casablanca's addiction issues. Lead guitarist Nick Valencia says, Julian's drinking was always a problem, or it was certainly an issue to be dealt with starting in high school. We were just going heavy with the drinking man all through high school. I really, I really, I went really heavy in school, and so did Julian. Fab and Nikolai were maybe the tamer ones, but when Julian would drink, he was scary, mean, very, very aggressive. Casablanca uh, uh, comments on this. My biggest regret in general is that I drank so much. I warded off any kind of intense introspection. We never really had those moments where we're all cheering in a freeze frame and credits roll. If anything, not to be dark and foreshadowing about things that hurt the band, but I think if, if, it, I think if anything, it was always a sense that we're not doing the right thing. We're not. It was always, why are we? I don't know. Manager Ryan Gentle says, Julian told me that if he ever felt that being fucked up was getting in the way of the music, that he'd cut it out. One day he decided during First Impressions of Earth that we ha he had a real bad session. He trashed the studio. 
He realized the next day that he had trashed it out of frustration because he couldn't find the lyrics, and he realized because it was it was because he was hungover. He realized it was getting in the way of the music. Casablanca's comments, I couldn't really function without drinking. That's a problem. I just got sloppy. It was bad. Uh, manager Ryan Gentles adds, he quit smoking, drinking, doing drugs all on the same day without a program or anything and never looked back, never had a falter. That's the man's will. He was a drunken nightmare to society as a whole, let alone the people he was working with. The people he worked with got it the worst, but it was society as a whole. He got sober and it was awesome, man. He did his wife with them. It, isn't that amazing? They're still together and they're fucking rad. Uh, Hammond Jr. says, during the recording of that third record, it was just sad. Uh, I have a very easy ability to spiral. There could be all this amazing stuff happening. And within two minutes, I could convince myself there was no reason to live. And that kind of thing, that, that extreme. Casablancas adds, it was a transition time. I mean, I put so much energy, life, blood, sweat, and tears into the band. And to be honest, it took me a while to recover from drinking. It took years to get normal. I started young, so I was kind of starting over. Drummer Fabio Moretti adds, that's the house of cards of being in the strokes. There was a lot of emotions that were kept secret. That's a quote we already talked about. Uh, Casablancas was not the only one with addiction issues, and he potentially wasn't the worst of it. Albert Hammond Jr., rhythm guitarist, uh, comments, At that point, I'd come in the band and would say, Why is he so moody and bummed out? And also, Catherine and me, that's his girlfriend at the time, Why aren't we having sex anymore? Well, because I'm on drugs. You don't want to have sex when you do those drugs, and you really can't. So come on, man, it's a pain in the ass. It's like a job. You have to plan it out. I know she's going to want sex tonight. Fuck. So it wasn't until we got back from Japan in 2007 that I started shooting up. I'd just do it when we were home. Uh, He also adds, I finished the first impressions tour and then I went on a nine-month solo tour, did 128 shows, detoxing on the road. I didn't really think of what I had done as an album. I was literally going out online or something like that. I wasn't even going to do any shows. Uh, And people were saying, we have to do some shows. And I was saying, I don't want to do the shows, and I'm being pushed. Oh, let's do three. And it turns into 120, It turns into 128 shows over nine months. Uh, I finally had a breakdown at the end of finishing the second solo record. I said to myself, okay, that's it. I'm done doing drugs. And I did get clean for eight months or something like that. Then I started doing it again. I got back into it, and I'm like, I'm not going to do heroin. I started drinking and sniffing Coke on the weekend. And I, uh, shooting cocaine and ketamine, weirdly, I thought that's okay because I'm not doing heroin. I'm making my own crack. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he also adds, it was scary for them, not for me. They saw me in pretty extreme place. When you puncture yourself constantly, your arms are destroyed. Then they catch you out of it. You're seriously out of it. You're like retarded. Sometimes when you're sniffing, it's like that, but it's a very different thing when you're shooting cocaine and ketamine and then heroin cocaine. Sometimes I could be sitting here with my eyes open, just completely gone. There were so many times I was close to dying, where my body was shaking, I heard voices, I stayed up for 90-something hours, I'd be in the shower hearing whole conversations or spend hours looking out the peephole, thinking I could hear someone waking up. And so this is the state of the band at this time. And as you would imagine, the unity of the group is beginning to falter. Uh, 
A journalist, Austin Scruggs, says, I saw the Strokes bubble burst when I went to South America and Brazil for a bunch of shows with Kings of Leon, Arcade Fire, and the Strokes. It wasn't for Rolling Stone. I just wanted to go. I was like, hey, manager, Ryan, I'll take a video camera. I'll document the trip. I'll shoot everything, and you can have whatever you want. I'll pay for my own ticket. Honestly, I was thinking it was going to be like Led Zeppelin. Like you walk into the room and there's bed full of women. I thought it was going to be a giant debaucherous orgy of booze and drugs. And it was the absolute opposite. To be blunt about it, the strokes were crumbling right in front of my eyes, right in front of my camera. There was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of tension. We have a lobby call at nine in the morning to go to rehearsal or get on a plane. And it would be 1130 and nobody was there. These things just don't happen. I remember driving an hour and a half to some rehearsal space before these big festival shows that they were going to do, and they never played a note. They ended up having a very big, serious band meeting while this rehearsal was supposed to take place. They didn't let me in, even as a fly on the wall, so it was so intense. It wasn't even really the drugs that I remember. It was just everyone being sick of each other. Obviously, Julian was resentful of everyone putting out solo records and not contributing to the Strokes records. It was a power trip. When I got home, I was like, wow, that was not what I expected. I didn't see one naked girl the whole time. Okay, so we have personnel issues. We have addiction issues. We have writing problems. And, And to top all of that off, they decide to start working with a new producer on the record. So it took 10 months to make this record. They initially set out to do it with their old pal, Gordon Raphael. Uh, Later on, they brought in Grammy award-winning producer, David Connie, um, who had worked with Paul McCartney and Tony Bennett and Sublime. Uh, They thought it was going to work to have two producers work simultaneously, that somehow they were going to collaborate with both of them at the same time. Eventually, that didn't really work, which mirrors a lot of the production issues they had, like on Room on Fire, where they attempted you know, uh, to work with Radiohead's producer, uh, or the first record where they attempted to work with the Pixies producer. So they keep bringing in these outside people and then sort of wanting to have it both ways, wanting to do things the same old way and wanting to add something new. Uh, eventually, Raphael bows out and the record is completed by Khan or Connie or however that's said. Uh, Greg, I want you to give me some broad overview comments here because I have some broad comments to make before we dig into any of the songs. Hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing that that story was sort of exhausting. It sounds like being <laughs> in, the, in the band was miserable, which is, <clears throat> um, I don't know. It's it's really uh. uh really fraught. I mean, I, I have to say, I like this third record more than the first two. Um, which, yeah, which, uh, I think might be, um, it's kind of strange, you know, considering how fraught the, uh, development of this record was. Um, but I just, um, I, I think, uh, from their last producer, maybe what changed is, um, Julian Casablancas doesn't seem to be self-inflicting these uh, constraints. Um, I think the drums are a lot more interesting. There's, it's just, um, it seems like a more um, liberated uh, creative process um, where it isn't sort of um, 
yeah, self-restricting. That would be my guess. Um, and I, I think it works for them. I mean, I, I it's think obviously that, a bigger sounding record. It doesn't sound lo-fi in the way the first two do. No, and, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, I have to imagine that they probably got criticism at the time for, uh, you know, who knows, like selling out. And there was that comment about Rome's on fire is too much like, is this it? But then now this is not enough like either of those. Um, it sounds to me like not only did they sort of self-inflict these restrictions on their creative process, but they just they just seem to be their worst um their own worst enemies it's it's kind of uh kind of sad really well i i want to ask you what what you think works about the record but i here would be my broad sense the singles don't work the record is too long and the last four songs all feel like the last song um i think occasionally there's some wit and charm and thoughtfulness you know uh and i and, and I think there are certain songs where he seems completely in, unable to conjure up both the old magic or come up with some new approach. Um, he sounds kind of creatively bankrupt, uh, just mm-hmm. kind of moaning and legato and not really finding a hook or a theme or anything, in particular Casablanca's. But there are other moments when he seems to like conjure something out of writer's block. Like he's seemingly writing about writer's block at, at different moments, which I think those are really strong moments. But what do you think works on this record? Are there are there are there particular songs you think work really well? Um, I, I think it started out pretty strong with uh, "You You Only Live Once." I agree. Uh, um, palm I- muted guitar, uh, intermixed with a sort of chiming lead. So you've got this sort of, uh, chugging thing and a chiming thing. And, and then we get this kind of scorching lead in the chorus. It's silly. It's fun. He returns to, uh, well-worn territory with commenting on romantic foibles. Uh, oh men, men don't notice what they got. Oh women think about that a lot. 1000 ways to please your man. Not even one requires a plan. I'll be waiting for you, baby, because I'm through. Sit me down, shut me up, I'll calm down, and I'll get along all right. Yeah, I think this is pretty much the same old Strokes magic, just in, you know, Technicolor widescreen. Yeah, this kind of reminded me of uh, Phoenix. Um, sure. And, I, you know, I, I coming in, I didn't really know... Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't really know the Strokes. Now, in retrospect, it kind of makes sense. Um, I, I think we had talked when we were talking about Phoenix, or um, we've talked about like Grizzly Bear and those other bands. In you, that are borrowing they, a page from the Strokes. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't hear that in the first two records, but I'm hearing it here, which kind of leads me to to the question of, you know, if, if this is not necessarily the um, most appreciated era of their music like if this is not the cool kids strokes record um why is this seem to have a greater influence on what would come forward than i would argue their last two records did um so maybe maybe part of the problem is this record was like burdened by the ethos of the strokes more than it was um representative of the quality of the record i mean i do agree that it's it, it is too long right um overstuffed but, with ideas yeah 
but uh, but songs like "You Only Live Once" um, I, I I think are uh, pretty solid and um, uh, justify the record. Uh, the one I want to point to, um, there's a few different things that I think work really well, and I think it took me a long, like lots of listens to unpack what actually does work about this record. Um, for example, I think the track "Eyes of the World." is probably some of the sharpest lyrics he's written. It's got a really pleasant melody uh, in the verse. Um, It's got a busy hi-hat, which is kind of a sneaky, kind of a secret, you know, secret weapon of the song. Uh, But the form of the song is more or less staccato verses and a legato chorus. Um, It has a memorable instrumental break. It's got this kind of bemused, uh, dime store, philosophizer, accidental profundity tone to it. And it seems to be him commenting like on, on, he's looking outward, like themes of alienation in modern life. Um, I think I know what you mean, but watch what you say, because they'll be trying to knock you down in some way. Sometimes it feels like the world is falling asleep. How do you wake someone up from inside a dream? And then the lyrics that I read in the intro, an egg to fertilize, a pulse to stabilize, a body to deodorize, a life to scrutinize. I mean, it's a listing, but it it seems to be using listing as a way to catalog this sort of overwhelming nature of modern life. Um, I thought this was particularly effective and sort of tossed off. Uh, It didn't feel like he was... uh, This felt like fertile territory to me like something new that he hadn't really brought to the table before. How did you feel about that one? Yeah. You know, the, the trick of this is, um, what is this like 12 tracks deep now? Yes. Into the record. Yeah. And so, um, as I'm listening to this, I, I listened through this, um, like two and a half times, uh, leading <laughs> up to the, yeah. the, uh, this record. Um, and, it's just, I just was sort of exhausted by this point of getting into I the agree. record. I think maybe, maybe I need to, um, on, on second or third playthroughs, do it in shuffle or something because, um, it's just, it's sort of buried deep, uh, after a lot of like, I, agree. I remember when I was first listening to it, I kept checking my phone to see like, have I moved on to the next record yet? Yeah. And, I know what you uh, mean. I, yeah. It's tough. But uh, yeah, in and of itself, um, I you know I, I thought it was uh, pretty good. Um, but you know, it's in that last four that that you had mentioned all sound like they might be closers. Um, and I suppose it on first blush, I, I guess it would be maybe the strongest of those four. But um, yeah, it's hard to say. I was I was ready to move on by this point. Uh. Let me ask you about what I think is probably the the biggest curveball on the record, Ask Me Anything. This is the first kind of song that isn't built around guitars that they've done. It's built around a sort of keyboard riff. I think it has a gorgeous kind of neoclassical melody. Um, He sounds like, again, kind of dime store philosophizing, like bumper sticker profundity, but he also sounds kind of suicidal. It seems to be about like, uh, writer's block most explicitly uh, right, or, right, wrong what to do, someday it will come to you, hostile Indians we named a summer camp after you don't be a coconut, God is trying to talk to you, we could drag it out but that's for other bands to do 
I've got nothing to say. 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 I've got nothing to give. Got no reason to live. Uh, in GQ, Casablancas was interviewed and said of the song, it's funny, I dreamt it was a Scissor Sisters song, and there was this chorus where they kept saying, I've got nothing to say. And it was so hypnotic and weird and fucked with my head. I woke up thinking it was a real song, and then I realized, oh, wait, I made that up in a dream. So I can do it, and I'm not plagiarizing. <laughs> How did you feel about him intoning over and over again, I've got nothing to say? I mean, it stuck out. Um, I think I there was something sort of, um, um, you know, if the song is trying to put out this this idea that there it, there's like this interminable, uh, inescapable feeling, um, I mean, I, I think it puts that impression out pretty well. Um, my only problem with songs that are miserable like this is that... Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I just, it, it's, it can be kind of miserable to listen to. <laughs> um, Fair enough. and I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, a, it's affecting. And if anything, I suppose that it, it, it does what it means to do, but it's sort of hard because, uh, I, I have talked about this with art, other artists, but I, I just don't particularly like wallowing in, in that negativity in music. Um, cause I find it, it's sort of like, starts to feel like a black hole. Um, but That's fair. I My suspicion was, is that there are so many moments on the record where they seem to be like uncomfortable. It, it feels like they're wearing an expensive suit when they're used to wearing like ripped jeans and a, and a leather jacket. And like they're, the collar is like chafing on their neck and they sort of feel out of sorts in this sort of like high fidelity production environment. It seems like they have so many toys and so many ideas that sometimes the songs feel like they're finished, but not very good. Sometimes they feel half finished and stitched together in Pro Tools. And sometimes Casablanca seems to be like straining to find a new vocal approach or find it like a new theme to wrap around some of these seemingly fully complete instrumentals. Uh, so a moment like this where he sort of like admits to the writer's block and sort of like turns that into a composition. I think that works pretty well. He feels fully present and, and it feels more comfortable to me than some of the like, well, let's just do strokes in high definition. Um, one of the moments I think works really well, feels fresh, but also feels sort of cut from the same cloth as their earlier material is the true closer red light. This is probably one of the hookiest of the bunch along with You You Only Live Twice. It's got a memorable swing time beat, something we don't get a lot from them prior to this. Um, hooky guitar parts, harmonized guitar parts. I think the chorus is really memorable. I think the bridge is sort of like tailor-made. Um, it's romantic. It's humorous. It seems to be a bit about love as an antidote to modern misery. Uh, can't you see the sky is not the limit no more? I can see the elevator crash through the floor. I can still see yesterday sailing away. Seven people, seven billion people who've got nothing to say. Are you coming home with me? Uh, get your lawyer and get your gun. Hate your new friends like everyone. Childhood's end can be so competitive. Oh, the sky's not the limit, and you're not going to guess what it is. Oh, let's say you made a deal with me and I got your name and your home address. 
Oh, you're all trashed up with your big red belt. I would almost say that you might need help. I could drop you off at the next red light if it don't make sense and it don't feel right. All the girls could never make me love them the way I love you. How did you feel about the sort of silly, uh, you know, kind of dirtbag romanticism of the closer? You know, I, I don't know that I paid much mind that, uh, you know, I, I'm not uh, much of a fidelity person per se. Like I, um, I, I like, um, I like new and interesting tones and I like, um, really great riffs and whatnot, but I'm not the kind of person to typically point out like strict production. Um, sure. Uh, I, I don't know tropes, but, but the, the drums on this are so high and then next, it seems, is, is the guitar, and then third is the the lyrics, um, and so it, they just got kind of buried in this busyness. Um, and I usually, yeah, I'm not one to point out mixing, but the mixing I think was really distracting for me here. Oh, interesting. Um, or maybe it's the headphones I've been listening to it on, or I'm not really sure. But um, there's that sort of like he's like uh, the drummer is just hitting um, these little crushed hi hat notes, sure. um, and they and I think they sort of went back a little bit to what they used to do where they would over compress and over, uh, you know, put on a little bit of distortion or equipping onto the drums. Um, and I just, I, I don't know that I care for it here. Um, interesting. Well, I was paying more attention to the songwriting than that mixing, but if that was distracting, that's not something I would have taken into consideration. All right, Greg, let's talk about the fucking singles and the rest of this record. Uh, why don't we start with how you feel about uh, Juice Box, the lead single? I'm surprised it was a lead single. It, it, yes. it kind of <laughs> it's a uh, there are aspects of it that I liked, but like when I first heard it, I was just kind of like thrown off because it sounds like a Mission Impossible novelty song, right? Um, and I I I don't know. I it was sort of baffling. I'm not even sure what I think about it because I just was so distracted by the goofy bass riff. Yeah. It's a riff crib from, uh, the Peter Gunn theme. Um, but let me ask you this. If the assignment was write a stroke song that might get played on modern rock radio is, did they get an A on this assignment? I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't heard this before. Uh, so I, I, I assume it, this sort of fell on its face. Um, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't know that I it, like it the feels assignment. Unapproachable. Um, but if the idea is like the strokes are a rock band that don't rock, what would it mean <laughs> for the strokes to fit into a world of three days grace and, uh, breaking Benjamin and other kind of metal adjacent, um, hard rock acts of this period? Like, how could the Strokes and their sound ever fit into that environment? Well, the Strokes have never done a riff as overtly sort of uh, rock-oriented as this. Uh, So they're certainly writing the riff for most of the song. Uh, I feel like structurally, it's it's a little overcooked. Um, I think it's a little bit busy and complicated. Uh, the riff kind of goes round and round, but then there are these kind of pre-chorus sections that are novel, but not particularly compelling. And I do not think that chorus lands like it should. Um, I don't think this this works. This is not one of my favorite Stroke songs at all. 
Um, uh, the track was originally called Dracula's Lunch, and the band changed the name uh, because they thought Juicebox sounded like a cool world word. When asked about the meaning of the song, Casablanca's told the NME, the single could be about a proper relationship, a casual friendship, or whatever, or whatever really. It's one of the more fun <laughs> songs. Casablanca's later explained the title change in an interview to Rolling Stone. It was a tongue-in-cheek reference to bloodsuckers, so when the image of people as juice boxes of blood came into picture, it stuck. Juice boxes of blood. Maybe that would have been a, a more revealing... Um. Yeah. Uh, the other single on the record, uh, "Heart Heart in a Cage," starts with a rather chaotic arpeggio riff. Again, we've got swing time drums, so we're not in that familiar uh, standard time that the Strokes use so much. Uh, it sounds edgy. It sounds desperate. It sounds a bit like an impotent cry for help. Um, well, I don't feel better when I'm fucking around, and I don't write better when I'm stuck in the ground. So don't teach me a lesson, because I've already learned. The sun will be shining and my children will burn. Oh, the heart beats in its cage. I don't want what you want. I don't feel like you feel. I'm stuck in the city, but I belong in a field. I've got left, 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 left. Now it's three in the morning and you're eating alone. All our friends are laughing at us. All of those you loved, you mistrust. Help me, I'm not quite myself. Look around, there's no one else left. Uh, sort of miserable, not a real hook in the song. Uh, sort of sounds like one of the anecdotes we read about the making of the record. Sort of hungover, uh, not quite focused. How'd you feel about Heart in a Cage, Greg? Did did the uh, the grading uh, add a nice counterpoint <laughs> to any of the other moments on the record? Um, I, I like the the little riffs, and I like that they come in and out. Uh, some of the other songs I think were too busy, um, so to have like a contrast between the moments of where it's um, doing more busy work and doing more right. moody work, I think uh, is is effective for what they're going for. It kind of reminds me more of like them sort of trying on like a muse costume, sure. Uh, and uh, so I don't know if it's uh, maybe properly representative of what they're trying to uh, like. It has a through line with their their music typically, um, but um, I thought it was uh, okay. I don't I don't think I ever want to hear this again. Um, <laughs> I would say the third the fourth track on here, Razorblade, is an obvious standout for me though. Right a lot, right up there with uh, you only live once or you only live twice razorblade cribs a melody from barry manilow's mandy i uh, thought it's got that an, too yeah yeah uh an off-kilter drum beat a very memorable chorus it seems to be in tone sort of a black humor piece about being miserable in love oh razorblade that's what i call love i bet you'd pick it up and mess around with it if i put it down it gets extremely complicated anything to forget everything You've got to take me out at least once a week, whether I'm in your arms or at your feet. I know exactly what you're thinking. You won't say it now, but in your heart it's loud. Oh no, my feelings are more important than yours. <laughs> Drop dead, I don't care, I won't worry. That chorus is perfect. Uh, I mean, part of me wants to think it's about how he feels about the other people in the strokes. <laughs> uh, but I mean, as a sort of like trashy kind of uh, 
familiar sounding strokes territory. I think it it works. I think it's funny. I think it's hooky. Did did this one work for you? Yeah, this is one of my favorites, uh, and I thought it was like right like. After listening to You Only Live Once, uh, I thought I was in for a, a treat with this record. And then a juice box came up and I said, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't until Razor Boy that I was like, okay, I like this. I, I think I've figured out what I like, um, w- w- sort of what space of the Strokes music I like. And I, I just, I like when their music uh, is a little bit more fun and a little bit more liberated. I agree. And, uh you know, maybe it's still sleazy lyrically, but like that's fine as long as they're having fun with it. And this seemed more open. Well, one of the tracks that most overtly comments on the addiction issues in the band comes next on the other side. This has almost a reggae interplay between drums and the chiming guitar, a very dissonant lead riff in the song, um, some swinging hi hats. And the legato melody is slightly exhausting. Normally, uh, I argue with you about legato melodies. But on this one, uh, I think the song feels too long about 30 seconds in. (laughs) Uh, I'm tired of everyone I know, of everyone I see on the street and TV. I hate them all. I hate myself for hating them. I drink some more. I love them all. I drink even more and I hate them even more than I did before. On the other side, there's no one waiting for me on the other side. Greg, I don't think this is art. Uh, (laughs) This sounds like uh, the worst morning after imaginable. (laughs) I can't imagine that they sat in a a recording room, live tracked this, and then he sang this, and anybody in the band was like, what the... They weren't like, what the fuck, dude? We can't put this out? I mean, I think it's okay. I think the verses are pretty, pretty, I don't know, it, at least it, it doesn't feel stitched together, like it feels like a complete idea, and this leads me to my other point about this record, because what were they supposed to do, Greg? Were they supposed to take more than 10 months to finish the record? Like, they've hmm. already spent way too much time on this project. They had yeah, to but- put out a bad record. That's what they had to do. Oh, well... Well, tell me, tell me what they should have done. I mean, I think they could have cut some things and it would have been just fine. I think an eight or a nine track record would have been much stronger than a 14 yeah. track record. Yeah, of course. But I mean, on I, the other I, hand, I think the, the issue here isn't just that there's too much stuff. There is a creative problem here, I think. They're going in, in so many different directions I don't think Julian as a vocalist is particularly comfortable without his distortion and his lo-fi stuff, but I would imagine he's also the one pushing them to try something new. And like what this reminds me of is that probably somebody in the band with some of these tracks, maybe not this one in particular, but it could be this one, the band developed some instrumental material or developed an arrangement and he doesn't know how to fit into it. And and for whatever Maybe. reason, like he's sort of straining to find vocal ideas, straining to find a way to fit his voice into the mix. Um, like this one, why would you do that legato melody just over and over like that unless you couldn't figure out what else to do? Well, I also just think the song was fundamentally boring. I mean, like yeah. the uh, the drums, it does this sort of one, two, one, two through the entire thing. And I think it's... 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's sort of indicative of um, just how uh, uninspired this particular track was. You know, I you would know better than me, but because because the the last two records were so um, restrictive, um, maybe one dimensional, homogenous. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of imagined that, and and I could be totally wrong about this. That this was like them trying to be more open minded to trying something differently. Like I agree. I, yeah, and I don't. I don't know that. Like, it seems to me like if Julian Casablancas had his way, which ninety time, ninety times out of uh, ninety nine times out of hundred, yeah, he does, he's writing most of the songs. Yeah, um, that he probably wouldn't have done it this way. But maybe, maybe after uh, Rome on Fire was uh, had mixed reviews, like maybe he sort of just let let loose a little bit and let the producer figure it out. And maybe it was like a producer or someone who thought that on the other side and other mediocre tracks was worth trying and keeping. Um, I don't know. I, I suppose you could be more or less right about the sunken cost fallacy of putting 10 months into it and wanting to come out with something. But um, I, I don't even, I, I mean, even if they cut two songs like that would, would have still been a full record by that era's, um, my here's standards. my theory on this. I think that there comes a point in a band when the band can't do anything right. It doesn't matter what they do, whether they rely on things they know how to do or things they don't know how to do, but they're going to try. Nothing, nothing will really fit the bill. They're just sort of at the end of one uh, creative vein and at the beginning of another, but it's not clear if what they're exploring is going to be fertile. And so they can't go back and they can't go forward without doing things that are sort of half-baked to try and find a new thing. And I think that's kind of where you find yourself on this project. Um, the next song is is Vision of Division. It has a very complicated structure. Uh, there's like a very kind of off-putting, dissonant Spanish-inspired lead in the instrumental break. It all feels kind of stitched together and Frankensteined in Pro Tools to me. It feels like two or three songs put together. Um, I, I would say there is one standout melody. Uh, in the pre-chorus, there's this line he sings, all that I do is wait for you, all that I do is wait for you. I think that is a particularly great melodic idea, but it feels like it's sort of copied and pasted from different sections. It, it doesn't really cohere. So you've got songs on the record that cohere, but are particularly boring, and songs that are structurally complicated and experimental that don't cohere because of how confusing they are. So this is what I mean by the band at, at certain moments here just not being able to do anything right. Hmm. Did you have any uh, anything to say about Vision of Division? Do you remember what this song sounds like? Yeah, this is one of those more sort of busy and belabored songs. Um uh, I mean, I, I I guess I thought it was more interesting than than some of the other meandering that they did. Like, if um if on the other side is meandering by doing very little, um, yeah. vision of division is meandering by doing too much. I guess so. I would uh, agree. Two sides of the same coin. I guess. Um, electric cityscape. I have f- similar feelings about. I think again, this is one where you find particularly uninspired melodic choices. It feels overly complicated. I think. The arpeggios are sort of difficult to sing over. Everything feels a little too busy. Uh, there's no real hook. It feels 
ponderous and inscrutable. Um, I mean, he's singing things like, I wish two drinks were always in me, which leads me to think this is one of those, when it doesn't work, he sort of trashes the studio. <laughs> uh, I, I think another one that really sort of feels like a, like a lifeless melody sours the whole, the whole thing is killing lies. Um, the drum beat is sort of off kilter. It's sort of like, okay, let's get outside of our comfort zone. Let's not just lean on the two and the four with the kick and the, you know, with the snare and the one and the three, let's try and branch out. So we get this weird drum beat and nobody really knows what to do. So they sort of play what they always play. And the guitar player is like overplaying quite a bit throughout this record. Like seemingly some of these ideas were developed on guitar without much thought to how vocals and guitar would, would interplay. Um, so yeah, I have to say, I think there's a, a bunch of these compositions that don't sort of fit together, but when they are in, when they're in kind of writing fun or, or sort of silly dirtbag pop songs, like you only live once or razor blade, I think they're, they're as good as they've ever been. I think there are moments when they're finding fresh, like when, when Casablanca sounds invested like he does on Eyes of the World or Red Light, at least to my ears, they've found pop sensibility that they were looking for. It might not be Mr. Brightside, but it is a widescreen HD Technicolor version of their sound uh, with new ideas in the drums, uh, with an outward look viewpoint to the lyrics. Um, and when things don't come together, it's kind of a fucking mess. A Pro Tools to hell uh stitch together frankenstein's monster uh or just kind of dull things like the track we haven't talked about uh what is it called sunset uh, e- evening, uh evening sun. sun yeah just sort of boring and dull much like um yeah so i think there are moments that really stand out here but as a whole i would have to say it's kind of a mess and i'm not sure there's anything they could have done to avoid it <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really too bad because it does have some of the I, I think the most compelling songs. Um, I agree. I agree. For, for some for of the best interest. work is on this, but you've almost got to sift it, you know. Yeah. Well, the band would not release any new material. Two thousand five, the next release. Uh, I mean, uh, we we will uh, cover some solo strokes material, and the first solo strokes material that we're going to cover is Julian Casablancas's. Uh, first solo album, Phrases for the Young. Um, Phrases for the Young, um, the album was released in 2009, two years after the tour and the Strokes went on hiatus. It was recorded in New York, Los Angeles, and Nebraska uh, by Jason Lader and Mike Mogis. I believe that's how that's said. Uh, This is, Julian said of the record, I would have gone weirder with the music, but I didn't want to be... I wanted it to be smart. I didn't want people to say, okay, this is this weird abstract thing and dismiss the album. I worked too hard on it for that to happen. I wanted to be crazy original and bridge the gap between traditional music and modern music. Um, my general sense of the record is, is that this is a post-sobriety album in some ways and that the songs that lean towards that Americana bent... Um, the the writing is it feels like a like a new julian it feels clear-eyed it feels succinct it feels vulnerable almost confessional at times 
Um, mm. The busy synth-heavy production can sometimes outshine the songs on on the less Americana influenced material. But I would say there's one notable exception to that. Uh, the record kicks off with Out of the Blue, which potentially is the most stroke sounding moment on the record. It's got sort of double time drums all a last last night. Uh, it's got clean, bright, synth heavy production. The chorus is particularly memorable. Um, I'd say it, it's introspective. It seems to be about regret seems to be almost a catalog of mistakes that he's made. Uh, somewhere along the way, my hopefulness turned into sadness. Somewhere along the way, my sadness turned to bitterness. Somewhere along the way, my bitterness turned to anger. Somewhere along the way, my anger turned to vengeance. And the ones that I made pay were never the ones that deserved it. Somewhere along the way, extracting vengeance gave me excitement. Somewhere along the way, excitement turned to pleasure Somewhere along the way, that pleasure turned to madness. But sooner or later, that kind of madness turns into pain. And the ones that I made pay were never the ones that deserved it. How did you feel about this, Greg? Did this did this work for you? Um. Well, I sort of. I mean, my only thing with it was um, as the first track. I, I remember thinking, like, did did this need to be? Um, solo work if it's this close to the what I was expecting from the Strokes, um, and so yeah, I, uh, I I would not have started it like this. Um, so it's kind of kind of hard because for me to say um, in a vacuum, um, I don't know. I thought it was okay, but yeah, I, I, I would have preferred to sort have of started like a out. Blue Orchid moment. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's not uh, telegraphing what the record is. Uh, really going to do, um, which I think is a you know good for this record. Um, yeah, uh, it's kind of all over the place, I would say. Uh, the well, other moment on the record that has kind of a uh, a country or Americana influence uh, to its melody uh, is Ludlow Street. Ludlow Street kicks off with some very pentatonic Japanese-sounding melodies. I would say the synth textures are very strange and interesting. I don't know that I've heard synth textures quite like that on many records. Um, But the melody itself is kind of a syrupy, country-inspired melody. Um, Again, what I notice most about his perspective and about his vocal approach is how how clean it is. Um, He sort of sounds a bit bemused. The song seems to deal with addiction and failed relationships. Uh, everything seems to go wrong when I stop drinking. Everything seems to go, seem to go my way last night. Everything seems so wrong to me in the morning. I know things will be br- brighter later tonight. Soon we'll all get pushed out as soon as I get sober. I remember why I drank it all away on Ludlow Street. While I surrendered my ego you fed yours. All my fantasies died when you said yours. I have dangled my pride to forget yours. Will my mind be at ease when you get yours? We'll find out soon enough. That sounds like it's about the strokes. Hmm. Uh, that's just my uh, little tabloid uh, inference. But I would say I am fascinated by his choice to sound like country and Western music on this project. And if I... I if I had to guess, I would say it's probably from Mike Mogus. Um, he's the uh, the second member of Bright Eyes. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And he's uh, he's the fourth member of Monsters of Folk, and sure. he does all the the uh, 
Saddle Creek um, production in Omaha with uh, with um, Connor Oberst. So I, I expect that those sort of uh, what would be experimental for um, Julian Casablancas was probably um, in the comfort zone for Mike Mogus, who had been trafficking in those sort of uh, experimentations and, and blending of Americana with uh, um, novel synth modern production. Tones. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel but, about Ludlow Street? Um, it was a little bit sing-songy, which uh, I, I found like a little bit distracting. Sure. Um, Syrupy. But, I agree. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of like a, a, I don't know, it almost kind of feels like a novelty when Julian Casablanca sings on stuff like this. Like he's like Like he's a tourist. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I want to be open-minded to it, but... Um, I, it, it it's not as convincing as I think it really ought to be. Um, sometimes, you know, when you, you hear artists who don't normally do this kind of music come into this, it feels like they're like discovering a part of themselves. I don't right. get that sense with Julian Casablancas. I think, I think it really is like a, um, just an experiment. Like, yeah. It, he doesn't have, he hasn't paid any dues to make this kind of music. It's sort of like, what would it sound like if I completely, went outside the box and made a country song and then, you know, sort of added a bunch of 80s style synths. You know, I was pretty, there are a lot of moments on this record where I think the production tends to take center stage over good songwriting, which is a little disappointing. But in my first run through the record, the one exception to that, I would say is Glass. Glass is a true gem, I would say, in his catalog. This is one of the best things I've ever heard him do. Um, I think it has really interesting synth textures again, but I think the songwriting is up to par with the production. I think the the chorus is hugely memorable. He This is the first time I think we've ever heard him use falsetto in his voice, a trick that he will employ quite a bit later on. Um, I, th- I think this should have been the single. When this record came out and I heard the singles, I was b- I was befuddled as to what he expected me to get out of some of those singles. Um, the, the tone is sort of anguished. It seems to be about collapse or breaking up. I don't believe it. I won't believe in it. I'm not sad. I understand that's how it goes. Take it easy. There's no time to be mad. That's their job. Blood on their teeth, death on their mind. Please don't deceive me. I'm so easily fooled, but there's some things they do not want the answers to. Don't want to bring up all that, but they keep leaving it out. What to do? Uh, we'll just let it be until they all need bulletproof glass. Uh, how did you feel about glass, Greg? I'm going to be shocked if you didn't find anything of merit in this track. No, I, I like the soaring moments. Um, those were pretty good. Oh yeah. Um, it does not sound like the strokes. Yeah. I think, um, again, I, you know, it's, it's rare for me to speak about, uh, levels and mixing. Um, I think that the production was so lush that they, it still pushes higher in the mix, which makes it sound less confident in the, to me, um, uh, for the vocal aspects. But, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it was good overall. It's, it's long though. That's my, 
my I guess my only like really strong complaint is it just I don't know. I, I think it could be have been a little bit wittier in length. Well, I think you're a hater, and I think this is the first time <laughs> he finds a new way to sing a song. And I think it actually works. It's totally new, totally fresh, and it feels as convincing as some of his early work to me from a melodic standpoint. Well, let's talk about some of the moments that were were uh, more production-heavy, perhaps. Uh, left, right, and in the dark. Uh, this has a guitar that sort of recalls Iran by Flock of Seagulls. It's got that heavy delay on it. They're playing chords. Busy arpeggios in the chorus. Uh, again, it feels earnest and vulnerable, which is not typically how he has sounded in his work with the Strokes. Seems to be about alienation and modern life. Staring at the mother-daughter clones go by. We're in a race against time, and time might be winning. And it's not going to take all day watching the urban decay all around us. And I'm on my way, oh, somewhere. Feels like I'm going left and right in the dark. How long must we wait? How long must this stay? How'd you feel about left, right, and in the dark? Well, being the second track, I, I it was quite refreshing after hearing uh, Out of the Blue and thinking it might be sort of like a Strokes, Strokes minus light. the band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it was a little bit more interesting. It kind of reminds me of Beck in a lot of ways. Um, sure. And uh, yeah, I thought it was fun. But um, I, I guess like the, the question that, that is begged of me in this is like, what is... I'd be curious to know what Julian's uh, contributions to the songwriting and production were, because um, it just seems to me like this is another example of where the production is more interesting and more progressive. um, Than the songwriting? Yeah. Which sort of leads me to wonder if it it shouldn't have just been considered like a different band altogether. Like if, uh, if Julian deserves the credit for the uh, full culmination of this artistic endeavor i don't think there's a hook in this song i think it's productions in search of a song more than anything else um yeah uh one of the singles on the record 11th dimension uh much like much of this record kicks has a drum beat there are a few moments on this record where there are interspliced drum patterns so you get these kind of polyrhythm kind of things and that tends to feel overly busy to me um the verses are kind of a two-chord vamp, just four and five chords, you know, repeating, uh, with a kind of 80s-inspired synth melody. Um, there's some dime store philosophizing. It seems to be about alienation and modern life, the hollowness of celebrity, um, where the cities come together to hate each other in the name of sport. America, nothing is ever just anything. I looked up to you, but I thought I would look the other way but you thought I would look the other way and you hear what you hear and you take what you want to take. Oh, and you hear what you want to hear and you take what you want to take. You know, like some of these lines are pretty strong, you know, the couplets, but I, I don't think the chorus really lands. This is, this was one of the songs that I heard before the record came out, probably on MySpace, And I remember thinking like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like it's off putting, but there's, but not, but there's no like reward for the for the patience you have for the track. Um, I don't think it pays off the way it should. There's an interesting chord change at the end of the second verse that starts to feel like the chorus I was waiting for, and then it doesn't happen. Um, that's probably my biggest 
annoyance with a lot of the the other tracks on the record that we're talking about now is I don't think the 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 melodies and the songwriting is up to snuff. Um, a good lyric is not enough. Cool production is not enough. I need a hook. Fair enough. I mean, I, this is one of the songs I liked a little bit more than most. Okay. Um, and I, I, I just think again, it probably just came back to the the production was sort of fun. Um, yeah, you're right. It is. And and uh, this again uh, is one of the songs that kind of reminds me of Phoenix later or uh, sure. closer to uh, you only, you only live once, um, but more synthy. So I, I, I think that that liberated. Um, fun aspect, even though it doesn't have a hook per se, uh, is starting to push towards the direction that I'd want to hear. That's okay. Something modern, something more, 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 um, uh, contemporary sounding Greg, yeah. one of the other curveballs on the record is the Motown inspired, uh, four chords of the apocalypse. This is a six, eight time, uh, uh, very much soul-inspired composition. The arrangement is really busy, I would say. Um, th- there's a sort of very typical Motown, you know, sort of heart and soul chord progression arpeggio being played on the on the keyboard. And then there are two separate guitars that are layered on top of that doing the same kinds of arpeggios. Um, and it just felt like there was so much going on. Uh, there's an instrumental break with harmonized guitars, uh, the strokes, the full band are credited with the chorus chord progression. Uh, I don't know. It feels kind of dread-filled. Seems to be about the end of the world. Anything to watch while we're waiting for this apocalypse? What more is there to do? It's nice to be important, but so close to being despised. It's more important to be nice, I guess, than being wise. I'll take you shopping. I'll take you dancing, too. I'll take you out. All the things you want to do. I'll give you diamonds. I'll give you space. So be with anyone you want. It's all right with me. Our time is over. Don't know what. Don't know that if a time warp was open, I'd stay right in my place. That war is over. How did you feel about this sort of digression into soul music? Not the first time he's ever done that. There are Motown-inspired moments on Room on Fire, like Under Control. Does this one? Does this one make the cut, Greg? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough sell again. Um, there's a really cool, I don't know if it's like a bass synth or, uh, a really bit crushed bass guitar or something. Sure. Um, but there's some powerful tones and productions, uh, production elements here, um, that I like quite a bit. Um, the, uh, pitch shifted guitar solo, um, there's a lot of cool elements of this. Um, I just don't know that it it comes together as a um, as a song uh, that is it's co- a whole cohesive thing. I, I again prefer the parts more than I prefer the whole. I think if this had been a cover, it probably would have worked better because then you would have had a song to wrap all this production around. If they had finally done what I've been waiting for, which is cover My Girl <laughs> and uh, use this production, I think it might have paid off. But I'm not sure he's got much of a song writing on top of that that sort of Ferrari of a production suite. Um, 
River of Break Lights was one of the other singles. This is uh, probably the most rock-oriented moment on the record. Very dissonant, angular guitar lines. Uh, some very busy drum machine programming. Uh, it feels kind of stitched together in Pro Tools for my money. Um, uh, the the tone of it's sort of inscrutable. The The themes of it are sort of inscrutable. Robot camp for kids who hate sports, mothers crying at the airport, finding the dreams you left behind to do, waving goodbye, your young heart cries for you. You're finding it hard to get very far, but you were born waiting in line, grabbing the future by the eyes. Um, I, I, I think the real shame here is that the melodies kind of don't live up to the interesting backing track. I think that backing track and those... Uh, chord progressions and the sort of angular nature of it is pretty cool. Um, I just don't think the, the melodies are really legato and kind of dull for me. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Yeah. I think I feel like it's going for um, a mood more than it's going for um, maybe not even a mood, but like just sort of this aesthetic more than it's going for um, any specificity. And, and it seems to me like, you often crave the specificity. It reminds me of um, a cross between uh, aluminum by the White Stripes, which is an instrumental uh, right. uh, that's supposed to sound like a factory, and a uh, long line of cars by the Cake, uh, by Cake, which is yeah, uh, sure. tr- trying to be about um, about this sort of interminable feeling of being um, stuck in um, in traffic. And, uh, I mean, obviously with the name like river or brake lights, it kind of conjures up similar imagery, but, right. uh, but I think that there's this sort of like industrial, um, malaise that I think does come through it. Um, but then it gets sort of more melodic, um, in the middle of the song. Um, and I, I think that part's a little bit, uh, it's, that part is more compositionally strong, uh, whereas the more, as you put it, angular stuff is more interesting production-wise. Well, Greg, on our show, we do a segment called Stand Out, Cop Out, Drop Out, where we talk about one track from each record to send up for the ages, to send to a first-time listener, and one track to delete from memory, to remove from the record. Starting with 2005's First Impressions of Earth, what do you want to send up and what do you want to send down? Hmm... Um, I think you, you only live once is a great record opener period. Um, I think any, any band, uh, in any, any similar space would, uh, do well to have a song that works as well as this one. Um, so I'm going to say that one, um, as far as one to get rid of, um, this is one of those records we described as high highs and low lows. Yeah. Um, and so with the low lows, you know, I, I, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, sometimes even the songs I think like just don't work like vision of division or at least interesting, uh, as a sort of experiment. Um, I guess like 15 minutes, um, which I'm not even sure we talked about, um, does a lot of the same things that other tracks on this record were doing. Um, but just less memorably. I would agree. That one feels like a joke without a punchline. Um, uh, as far as one to send up, there are some really strong moments on here. 
And this is a sort of a transitional experimental record. So I think the one I want to send up, like, it's obvious that something like You Only Live Once would be a good starting place if what you're trying to do is sell somebody on the idea of the band, because it feels like a classic stroke song. But if what I wanted to do was highlight the moments on the record where experimentation paid off, I think the one I want to send up to a first-time listener is Ask Me Anything. Mm. Because this is the strangest the strokes have sounded, and upon returning to this record, I thought uh, I felt like I cracked the record when I understood that song. Like, okay, the, the strokes can do something else, and although it's pretty miserable, I think it's pretty strong. Um, if I was yeah. going to, rem- I, I Go think ahead. I agree with this the sentiment. But the, the one thing I do want to say though is like, <laughs> I don't. It's hard for me to appreciate a record that requires you to understand it in order to enjoy it. I think like that asks a lot of of a listener to to say like, "Hey, like you're going to have to really get an understanding of where the, the the mind space is here to appreciate why this record is the way it is." Um, well, do you feel like that's true of the record or true of this song? Do you need to understand something about the record to like this song? Is that kind of where your head's at? I mean, that's what I got from the way that you described it. Like, it, it felt like what you were saying was like, it was sort of the key to understanding the where the band was at and therefore um, why the record is the way it is. Um, which, it, if that's what you were saying, I would agree with that. I just, it's, it's a lot to ask. Um, because like when I'm putting this record on, like, if I, if I don't know those things, is it going to be as compelling? I don't know. Well. I think I think that line I've got nothing to say I've got nothing to say is so stark and and sort of stands out on the record even you pointed out that it's it's sort of memorable and it stands out because it's so bald-faced um I think that's that's something that it took me a long time to grasp about the record that this was really where the heart of the record lay was both in sentiment and experimentation of this sort even if it's probably one of the more adventurous moments on the record, if not like uh, most exciting, I do think building a song for the first time around a keyboard on a Strokes record, I think that that's kind of the key to, to making sense of the rest of the record is understanding, like, if you want to understand this record and you want to have a good place to start, Ask Me Anything is a pretty good entry point to appreciating sure. the full the fullness of the record. Um Although I would say if I was going to send somebody a stroke song from the record, my most played would probably be Red Light, the closer. Um, as as far as one to take off, I think the laziest, uh, most half-formed piece of shit on the record is probably e- Evening Sun. I don't think there's a lot to recommend about that. There are other moments that are sleepy and slow, like Ask Me Anything, that are better. Um, I'm not sh- quite sure wh- what made that make the cut on a record that's already too long. That seems like the most obvious one to remove to me. So I'm going to take that off. Greg, uh, talking about 2009's phrases for the young, what do you want to send up and what do you want to send down? Yeah, this is a, a, a hard record to evaluate even song by song because I, I don't, I, I still, I feel like I understand Julian Casablanca even less than I did right after having listened to this because um, he's a vocalist who I don't think is strong as a vocalist and he's a songwriter who I don't think, well, I mean, so even the description of this record talks about how Julian 
I mean, granted, this is their sort of take on it, but talks about how Julian sort of put him, put his vocals into the mix as opposed to making it the, what the stands lead. out in the record. Yeah. Um, and that it's, for me, it just sort of begs the question, like, is he primarily a songwriter or primarily, primarily a vocalist? And if he's primarily a songwriter, um, it kind of makes me wonder, like, why, do, why couldn't he write these songs, um, instrumentally and had somebody who is a more competent vocalist find the interesting hooks inside of those, um, productions. Um, like, uh, you know, I don't know, like if, you know, knowing that Mike Mogus was on this, if Mike Mogus was doing the production and Julian was doing the writing and, uh, Connor Oberst or someone like that was doing the, the vocals, uh, maybe something really great could have came of it. But instead I think it's just sort of like, nebulous as to what the uh what what the justifying characteristic of this record is uh that being said yeah yeah that being said um i you know i i totally get why you didn't like as much i i I know that there isn't some some moment to grasp onto but i i do think that 11th dimension is uh indicative of some of the most interesting um aspects and the uh displays the departure of the record from the strokes i just think it's a a, 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 um it's the bread and butter of the of the record um which even though it's like nine tracks is still 40 minutes um i think it's 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 representative um as far as one to drop off um yeah, I'm gonna say out of the blue. I, I just uh, that that seems like he could have, if that's what he was gonna do with that song. I think he could have saved it for a Strokes record. Yeah, I hear where you're going with that. Um, I think uh, it's probably no mystery that the one I'm gonna choose is uh, Glass. This is probably the most convincing marriage of the production with his songwriting. And I was really impressed. If there's, if you're looking for the diamond in the rough on the record, and uh, and you say to yourself, "I'm not so happy with a, a track that feels so Strokes like with Out of the Blue," which I think is probably one of the stronger moments of the writing. If you're looking for something new and fresh out of the record, Glass, in particular the chorus, is really strong. I'm going to come back to that the most. I think. Um, as far as one to remove. That's tough for me because a lot of these things are interesting, uh, if not uh, lovable. Like you, you rightly point out that four chords of the the apocalypse feels kind of half baked in some ways uh, in its current form on this record. Um, I think the one that I'm most disappointed in is River of Brake Lights, just because for all of its for all of its interesting ideas, he doesn't really find the crucial element, which is a a top line melody that's going to sell that. It, it it's it's as though he doesn't have the keys for the car; he can't get it out of park. Um, but that's not that that track is too interesting to be the one to remove. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's tough. It's a tough one. I, I'll probably. I'll probably go with the four chords of the apocalypse. It feels like a genre experiment uh, that's less successful than the genre experiments I like, like Out of the Blue and Ludlow Street. 
Uh, it feels kind of like a like a detour on the record that I'm not sure needed one. It's already pretty complicated and pretty much all over the place. And I think that that this track might add to the confusion of what is this record. Uh, so you've been listening to Down on High. We will be back next week with two so- two records, probably from the 2000s.